The Orioles last week finally made a trade in which they sent one of their top prospects away and got a major league starting pitcher in return when they got Cole Irvin from the Athletics on Thursday. But because it was one of the bigger trades Mike Elias had made, it comes with questions from you, the listeners. So because of that, decided to open up the mailbag coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles. Your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, January 30th, 2023, and welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, it is another Mailbag Monday edition of the podcast. I'm going to answer nine Orioles questions, all from you, the listeners, here on today's pod. We'll answer a couple more questions about breaking down the Daryl Hernandez for Cole Irvin trade a little bit further. We'll take a look at what kind of players the Orioles could deal away in future trades, whether it be later this offseason or maybe at the deadline in 2023, we'll talk about the outlook for some players this season, including Ramon Arias, and then a little update on where some of the 2022 Orioles are now, the guys who uh, were free agents and did not re-sign with the Orioles. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started today. So let's jump right into the mailbag here. We thank you so much for sending in your mailbag questions. If you did submit a question and it is not answered on today's episode, do not worry. We will have future mailbag episodes later this offseason. Potentially might even do another mailbag later this week because I got so many good questions couldn't get to all of them. If you'd like to submit a mailbag question for a future episode, again, you can email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Tweet us at LockedOnOrioles. DMs are open as well. And you can leave a comment here on the YouTube page. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page as well to get all your O's updates. And we're getting close to 2,000 subscribers when we get there. Going to do some big Orioles giveaways, but you have to be subscribed to enter those giveaways. And we thank you so much for doing so if you have already. But we'll jump into the mailbag here with our first question, which comes from Daniel on Twitter, who asks, is having Kyle Gibson redundant now that the Orioles have acquired Cole Irvin? And does giving guys like Tyler Wells, Spencer Watkins, Austin Voth, and D.L. Hall a chance in the rotation instead make more sense for the Orioles? And I think this is a fair question from Daniel, and it's one that's come up on this pod a little bit and from other people as well, because, you know, I wanted the O's, I made this very clear, I think many of you wanted the O's, to get a pitcher this offseason who you could start on opening day and feel really good about it. And now maybe the O's weren't going to get Justin Verlander, but I really thought Carlos Rodon would have been a great fit. Whatever, they didn't want to spend the money. Even if you go down to the guys like Jamison Tyone and Chris Bassett, you know, I was really high on the O's bringing them in, didn't do it, okay. You go to the trade market, well... Maybe you can't pull off the Corbin Burns one, but it felt like they could go get a Pablo Lopez, one of those other Marlins starters, maybe someone from Cleveland or Seattle or different teams, even one of the other Brewer starters as well, who, even though they might not be an ace-ace, you could legitimately start on opening day and, and feel good about it. I mean, remember Nathan Eovaldi was still available for a while, and I was like, maybe he's not your ace, but he started three straight opening days for Boston. I think he could do it for the Orioles. Well, they didn't take that approach, and they added two guys to the rotation, signing Kyle Gibson to the one-year deal, and then, of course, making the trade, acquiring Cole Irvin from the Athletics on Thursday. Neither of those guys are guys you really want to start on opening day. 
And I get where the question comes from because it feels like Irvin and Gibson both kind of more back-end of the rotation additions, which they probably are. And the Orioles already had guys like that. And with the addition of Cole Irvin, as I talked about back on Thursday's episode, breaking down the trade, if the O's go with a five-man rotation, it probably pushes Tyler Wells back into the Orioles' bullpen. While it pushes Austin Voth certainly into the bullpen, D.L. Hall, some sort of piggyback role. And I'm not sure Spencer Watkins has a 26-man roster spot right now, especially after getting Cole Irvin. There's also guys like Mike Bauman and Bruce Zimmerman in that mix as well who are still on the 40-man roster. And I get that it could make sense to, to give those guys another shot, but really the reason for Gibson and Irvin is you still needed more adults in the room. This is something I've talked about throughout the offseason on the pod. How once the Orioles showed that they weren't going to bring Jordan Lyles back, they went into the offseason with no returning starting pitchers, nobody in their starting rotation having thrown essentially a full MLB season as a big league starter. And that's an issue. You need, as I said, some adults in the room. Now, they added Gibson, who has had 29 or more starts in seven of his eight regular full big league seasons, not including his rookie year when he came up late or the shortened 2020 season. 29-plus starts. That's a full season, pretty much. 29 or 30 starts in seven of the eight years. It's a 35-year-old veteran adult in the room who can still get guys out and is really going to bring you, you know, a veteran presence to this pitching rotation. And then when you add Cole Irvin, well, he kind of does a similar thing. Irvin has started 30 or more games in back-to-back years with the Athletics. And although he's not ace material with the stuff, he's getting guys out ERA around four, which is still solid today in Major League Baseball. And he helps your team. So that's what they needed. You know, Kyle Bradish is great. Dean Kramer had a really good year. Excited about Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, and Tyler Wells coming back and all these guys. But none of them have been even healthy enough to throw a full season. I mean, Kramer, Bradish, Wells all missed multiple months because of injury last year. And Hall and Rodriguez have barely pitched in the bigs at all. So you got to have some guys in the room and multiple guys. Can't just be one. You got to have multiple guys in the room who can eat innings, who have been there before. That's why Irvin and Gibson still both make sense. And I think are both going to be in the opening day starting rotation. Second question comes from at Jay Haas on Twitter, who asks... Could Cole Irvin ditch his sinker this year and kind of cites an article on Rotographs, the the kind of fantasy baseball wing of fan graphs about how they talked about Irvin's potential value this season in getting rid of the sinker. And this is something that I mentioned on Thursday's episode. And it's also something that I've talked about on Twitter as well, did a breakdown of Irvin's stuff. And I just do think that the O's are going to have at the very least have him cut back on the sinker usage. Last year, it was his number two pitch behind his four-seam fastball. He threw it about 23% of the time. Opponents hit 278 against that sinker, which was the highest batting average against any of Irvin's pitches last year. And it's only got a 13% whiff rate, which is the lowest. A 42% ground ball rate and a, a nine-degree launch angle on average is not good against a sinker. You know, if you compare that to Dylan Tate's sinker, which, granted, is one of the best sinkers in baseball, but if you look at what he does with his sinker, his numbers are leaps and bounds ahead of what Cole Irvin's sinker does. Irvin has the sinker to try and get ground balls. It doesn't do a good enough job of doing that. He leaves it up in the zone far, far too often, and that pitch gets hit hard, hit harder than any of his other offerings. So the fact that he already has a four-seam fastball, and he does throw a cutter as well from time to time, I don't think he needs the sinker. Now, could he throw it 
10% of the time instead of 23% and get better? Yeah, I think he could. Does he have to cut it out completely? No, I don't think he has to. But I do think the O's are going to go in there, have him focus on the fastball, changeup, curveball, and kind of get the sinker out of there a little bit because it just hasn't really been working for him. I think it's going to make him better moving forward with Baltimore. Next question comes from our friends over at Locked On Athletics here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Jason Burke does a great job hosting that podcast. Make sure to go check them out for their reaction of the Irvin Hernandez Orioles and A's trade. But Jason asking from the Locked On A's account on Twitter, what is the ceiling for Daryl Hernandez? Which is a fair question because he was the only Oriole going to Oakland in the Cole Irvin trade. Now, he's 21 years old, right-handed hitting infielder who had a 127 WRC plus in high A Aberdeen last year, then got moved up to Bowie for the last two weeks of the season. Didn't hit well, but you know he played 13 games in his first chance at double A, so can't really hold him against him. He's 21 years old. I do think Daryl Hernandez is a future big leaguer. I think this guy's going to get to the big leagues, and especially now that he's with Oakland and they're playing a lot of young guys and they're in the middle of a rebuild and it's not good at the major leagues, he is definitely at some point here Maybe not in 2023, but potentially in 2024, going to get his shot in the big leagues. And I do think what he's going to be, he's an athletic guy. You know, he can play short, second, third. Maybe he'll never be crazy elite in any of those positions, but will be a good defender. He can play all those positions. He can give you versatility. He's going to hit a bit. Not going to hit for insane power. He's not going to give you 25, 30 home runs in a year. But he could get you 10 or 15, hit for a solid average, be a really good athlete, play good defense. He's a great, great clubhouse guy as well. And I think he's going to be a valuable major leaguer. He's going to be an above-average major leaguer at the plate, in the field, just overall in terms of his value. And I think it was a good get for the A's. On the O's side, obviously, they just had too many guys ahead of him in the infielder pecking order. But I do think good defense, above average bat, just a solid major leaguer. I don't think he's ever going to be an all-star in the big leagues, but I think he's going to be a good big leaguer down the road for the athletics. We got six more questions to get to here on a mailbag episode. And coming up next, we're going to talk about what the Orioles might do in future trades, what kind of players they could deal away to get big league talent. And we'll talk a little bit about Ramon Arias and what his role looks like next season. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. And this year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We are so excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because of the number one sports book in America. That's FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. You can download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And FanDuel, it lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads, who even who will score a touchdown. Now, of course, the championship games are over, so you know we kind of have to wait two weeks until the Super Bowl, but that doesn't mean you have to stop betting at this point. You can always look at, hey, some college basketball, the NBA, pretty much anything you can get on, you can get it at FanDuel. And the FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, it's secure, and it's super easy to use. And best of all, you can get paid with your winnings instantly. I'm on the FanDuel app. I've uh, felt pretty good about you know what I did early getting on the app. Some of those free bets that I got turned them into some more money, betting on some college football during the fall. Hoping to continue that with college basketball as well. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. 
That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So we're back here on a Mailbag Monday episode answering your Orioles questions. Three down and six to go here on the Mailbag. And our next question comes from Tony on Twitter who asks, Do you think the Orioles will continue to trade from their mid-tier infield prospects instead of kind of the top-tier guys? And and obviously this question comes from Daryl Hernandez being the one who is sent to Oakland in the Cole Irvin trade. Because I would put Hernandez in kind of the tier two of Orioles infield prospects. To me, tier one is Gunnar Henderson, Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg, Connor Norby, and Jackson Holiday, whereas Tier 2 is some of the guys already in the big leagues and some of the guys that are closer. It's Daryl Hernandez until he was traded. It's Cesar Prieto. It's Ramon Arias, Taron Vavra, Jorge Mateo. Some younger guys as well. You know, maybe an Anthony Servideo in that conversation. I'd still put Kobe Mayo in, in Tier 1. He's definitely a Tier 1 infielder, but kind of talking more about the middle infield types. Mayo, a, a third baseman in the O system. But that's how I would kind of separate the two tiers. And Obviously, the Orioles were able to get a a controllable starting pitcher without having to give up one of those Tier 1 guys. But at some point, they're going to have to trade from one of these groups because you can't keep everybody. There's just not a lot of slots in the infield. I mean, right now, you have Arias, Mateo, and Vavra all in the big leagues along with Gunnar Henderson. And you have to think at least one of Westberg, Ortiz, and Norby, if not more, will be in the big leagues with them or replacing them at some point in the 2023 season. But I do think on the surface, if the O's can get what they want in trades while holding on to guys like Westberg and Ortiz, they're going to do it. But what I will say is, I don't think it's just going to be the mid-tier guys. I think they're going to have to trade one of those tier one infielders to go get the pitching that they want. Because yeah, Cole Irvin is helpful, but he's not anything close to the ace you really need on this staff. And even when you look at that group, Gunnar Henderson, Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg, Connor Norby, Jackson Holiday, not even those five, even if you cleared out everybody else, there's not even room really for those five to play on the same team. So you got to trade some of them. They're keeping Gunnar and they're keeping Jackson Holiday. So I really do think one of Ortiz, Westberg, and Norby is almost certainly going to get moved at some point. And it could be after, you know, maybe it comes next offseason and, and they've played a little bit at the big leagues at the end of 2023. But I do think there's a good chance one of them gets traded maybe before they get to the bigs. Maybe it happens at this year's deadline to go get a starting pitcher to kind of push the O's over the top and help get them to the playoffs. You just can't keep all these guys. And maybe they go the flip side. Maybe they deal Arias or Mateo to kind of clear the big league roster to get those tier one guys like Westberg and Ortiz onto the Orioles and give them regular playing time. But either way, something's got to give. You can't just hold on to these guys forever. And I do think it's going to be kind of those tier one guys being dealt for major league starting pitching. Next question comes from Jake on Twitter who asks, do you think the left field wall makes right-handed hitting prospects more expendable in trades? And obviously we just saw one again, Daryl Hernandez, a right-handed hitter dealt in the Cole Irvin trade. But I also think it's not just right-handed hitters in general. It's kind of what kind of right-handed hitter are you? Because for example, Connor Norby, who we just talked about, great year, double A and triple A, second baseman, right-handed hitter is going to be knocking on the door of the big leagues here in 2023 if he continues to hit well with the Norfolk Tides in AAA. Now, does that mean he's not valuable in the big leagues because the walls move back in left field? Not necessarily because of the way Norby hits the ball. Connor Norby known for using all fields, and really his power alley 
is kind of mostly to right center field as a right-handed hitter, which is still a solid place to hit the ball out at Camden Yards. So I don't just want to pigeonhole it to right-handed hitters because Connor Norby, only 38% of his balls in play last year were pulled to left field. He really uses the field a lot more than your general right-handed hitter. Now you look at Daryl Harnais, he was at 46% pool percentage. So that's a little more pool happy. Maybe that would have made him less valuable from a power standpoint at Camden Yards. The other thing you want to think about is it's not just right-handed hitters, it's right-handed power hitters. Because if you have a hitter like, I don't know, I mean, Taron Vavra is obviously a good example, even though he is a left-handed hitter. But somebody that sprays the ball around more and isn't a 25-30 to 30 home run guy, they're not as hurt by the big wall because they're not hitting... 20-plus homers out there anyway, they're actually maybe helped by there being more space out in left field to dunk the ball in for for singles and doubles. So what we're really looking for here is big-time pool-hitting, power-hitting right-handed hitters. That's a group that maybe the Orioles could trade from more so. And I will say, I love Kobe Mayo, but he kind of falls more into that category than some of the Orioles' kind of Tier 1 prospects that I talked about, big power right-handed hitter, crazy power, and over 50% of his balls in play were pulled in 2022 at AA Bowie. So it might make sense that it could hurt the value of a guy like Kobe Mayo. Jordan Westberg is another one, 47% pull percentage last year between AA and AAA for Westberg. Maybe that does hurt his value a little bit. He's not as much of a raw power guy as Mayo, but he is still a power hitter who hits the ball out of the ballpark a lot, as we've seen in the minors from Jordan Westberg. So it's something to look at with those guys, that it's not just right-handed hitters, but those pull-hitting, power-hitting right-handed hitters. I think they could be more likely to trade those guys because you're just not going to get as many homers out of them at the big league level. Next question comes from Caden on Twitter who asks, speaking of a right-handed hitter, how will Ramona Rios fit into the Orioles roster this season? This is a question I think I've touched on a few times this offseason because as you continue to look at the Orioles infield, it's it's getting crowded. You know, we just talked about how the O's are going to have to trade from this surplus at some point, you would think. But you look at the roster right now, as I've projected it, at least for opening day, and you've got Ramona Reyes on it, of course, along with Gunnar Henderson and Jorge Mateo. And Adam Frazier will be on that roster, you'd have to think. And, and Taryn Vavra, as well, kind of makes up your infield right now for the Orioles. Now, in that group... I think Arias is going to play a lot because whether he's going to play third base or second base, he might DH a little bit. If you look at the Orioles' nine best hitters, Ramon Arias is certainly one of the nine best hitters uh, among the guys who are projected, at least by me right now, to make the 26-man opening day roster. Among the 13 hitters to make that roster, Arias is certainly one of the nine best. Now, I know he won the gold glove at third base last year, but he's not going to be your everyday third baseman. I think between Mateo being at short, which would push Henderson to third, you're going to have some third base for Arias. You're going to have some second base, but also you'll have Frazier and Vavra trying to play those positions. Now, it does help that Frazier and Vavra can both play the outfield as well. They're both left-handed hitters, while Arias is a righty, so there's better ways to kind of work them into the lineups as well. But Arias is going to play a good amount. And it's not going to be always third. It'll be some second. I don't know if he'll DH as much as some guys like maybe Vavra or Santander or Stowers will do just because Arias is such a good defender both at third and second base and, and can play shortstop for you as well if you need him to. He's probably the third string shortstop on the roster right now behind Mateo and Henderson, but still gives you that option. But the one thing I will say about Ramon Arias is that he's come up in trade talks with the Orioles this offseason trying to go get a starting pitcher. 
And when you look at them trying to trade guys away and get starting pitching, he's a controllable infielder who, yeah, has some pop but hasn't really figured out the offense thing yet. He still hits the ball into the ground way, way too often. And the Orioles will have Ortiz, Westberg, and Norby knocking on the door here. Arias could be a guy that still could be traded either this offseason or early in the season or at the trade deadline. I think it certainly still could happen. He's still coming up in trade talks. But for right now, he's going to play not every day, but a lot of days. It'll just be some moving around of positions, getting him into the lineup. And it also depends on his bat. Listen, if he keeps just beating the ball into the ground, it's going to be tough to play him every day. But he starts to lift the ball in the air some like he did at times last year. He's going to hit for more power, hit more homers. and He's going to be more valuable in the Orioles lineup. But we got three more questions to get to here on a Mailbag Monday episode, taking a look at uh, the former Orioles and where they've ended up so far this offseason. We'll look at one of the O's young relievers and how he fits in to the bullpen, and then take a look at the rotation as a whole and who might have the best season in 2023. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by Built Bar. Are you looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories? Well, you've got to try a Built Bar. And we've just gotten through the holidays, and the goal for some people is to eat a little healthier. Well, you got to try Built, because with Built, healthy is actually tasty. They help you with your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how they continue to do it, because they maintain... These amazing macros as well. These delicious bars, they taste like candy bars, but each built Bar only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now, you don't have to wait around to just get your box in the mail. You can still order from built.com, but you can also go to Walmart. They've got built Bars now. You can get a 4-bar box. You can go to Sam's Club as well. You can get a 13-bar box with those hit flavors like brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. So... Go to Built.com or head into your local Walmart or Sam's Club and get yourself those delicious and nutritious Built Bars. So we're back here to finish things up on a Mailbag Monday episode of the podcast. Three more questions to get to here, and we'll jump right back in with a question from Tyler via Twitter who asks, where will last year's Orioles free agents end up this offseason? Where have some of them ended up? As well. Now, he mentioned specifically Rugnet Odor, but I wanted to just kind of go through some of the rest of these guys and tell you where they are. Of course, you know, Jordan Lyles signed a two-year deal with the Kansas City Royals, and then Trey Mancini, a two-year deal with the Chicago Cubs. Those are the two big names so far this offseason. But some of the other Orioles have uh, signed elsewhere, whether they be major or minor league deals. You got Jesus Aguilar did sign a one-year deal with the Oakland Athletics. Brett Phillips Got a one-year deal from the Los Angeles Angels. Jake Reed, remember him? He is back with the Dodgers. Uh, Denny Reyes signed a minor league deal with the Mets. Rico Garcia, a minor league deal with the Athletics as well. Paul Fry still bouncing around out there. Actually got a minor league deal with the Blue Jays. Lewis Head is back with the Marlins as well. And then the last name I found, Chris Owings, is nowhere. And I would probably say his MLB career is over after that disastrous display early in the season with the Orioles. But of the three, you know, major league free agents the Orioles brought in last offseason in Lyles, Torinos, and Odor, only one has signed. Lyles, the two-year deal with the Royals. Rugnet Odor and Robinson Torinos, as of taping here Sunday afternoon, 
are still free agents. And, you know, obviously Torinos is almost a decade older than Odor, so they have many different prospects when it comes to the free agent market here as we're about to flip the calendar into February. But in terms of Robinson Torinos, he was playing in the Venezuelan Winter League. His team won the championship, but... I think it's probably done for him. I hope he gets the chance to play maybe in the World Baseball Classic, but I mean, it, he was a terrible defender, terrible pitch framer, terrible hitter last year. He's 39 years old. I think Chirinos is probably done in the big leagues, probably be good for him to hang it up. But I still think Rugnet Odor is going to get a contract. Now, will it be a major league deal? Uncertain, but I think at the very least, Rugnet Odor is going to get a minor league deal. He's not even 30 years old yet. He's going to get a chance to continue his career. The question is where... And while there really haven't been any rumors connecting Odor to any team so far this offseason, there's been some, you know, sites speculating and writing about it. And the team I've seen the most, and does maybe make the most sense, is the Boston Red Sox. Especially after Boston had Trevor Story get that surgery, he's going to miss like the first half of the season. You know, they could not retain Xander Bogarts. They did trade for Adalberto Mondesi to play shortstop from the Royals, but... They're still at a point where, I mean, I'm pretty sure their second baseman is still Christian Arroyo right now, and he has not been very good the past couple of years. Rugnet Odor might not be a huge upgrade, but at least would be a platoon with Arroyo and give you a better chance with the bat. I could see Odor signing a minor league deal and making the opening day roster with Boston. How funny would that be to see Odor, you know, 13, 14 times this year in a Red Sox uniform, but he could pepper the pesky pole, still plays a solid defense at second base. And listen, the Red Sox need anything with a bat, and apparently they're only going after guys that are cheap as well, and Odor would, would certainly be cheap to bring in. I think that could maybe fit for the Red Sox and for Rugnet Odor. Next question comes from Johnny on Twitter, who asks, where does Yenier Cano fit in this season for the Orioles? It's an interesting question, because... We saw Cano come over. He was one of the four pitchers who the O's acquired from the Twins in the Jorge Lopez deal at the trade deadline. And Cano was the only of the four guys to actually get to the big leagues with the O's. He had had a little bit of time in the big leagues with the Twins at the time of the trade. He was in AAA. O's sent him to AAA and then did bring him up a couple of times late in the year. Got a few appearances. Definitely a varying results for Yenier Cano in the big leagues with the Orioles. But it was a very, very small sample size. And he's still on the 40-man right now, you know. He would be projected right now to start the year in AAA. The Orioles just have too much bullpen depth right now, and especially with acquiring Cole Irvin last week, it you know probably pushes a guy like Tyler Wells back into the bullpen. And you could argue right now, the Orioles have their 13 pitchers. As long as there's no injuries, you could argue they have their 13-man pitching staff set for opening day right now. Now, things are going to change. Some guys are going to struggle in spring training. Some guys are going to play really well, and it's pitching, so somebody's going to get injured. But if everybody stays healthy and performs like we expect, they kind of have the spot set. And that's without a spot for a Mike Bauman. That's without a spot for a Spencer Watkins. That's without a spot for a Joey Crable. You know, there are guys, that's without a spot for a Nick Vespi, who is probably going to miss the beginning of the season with injury. That's without a spot for even a, an Andrew Politti, the, the Rule 5 pick. All those guys, I think, are ahead of Yenier Cano, at least for the opening day bullpen pecking order and, and power rankings right now. So he's got a, a little bit of an uphill battle. Now, people have speculated this offseason that, that maybe Cano could be a DFA candidate off the 40-man roster as the O's were making roster moves. I'm not sure about that just because, you know, the O's only traded for him at the deadline last year. You know, he is older. He's 28 years old, the right-hander, but he throws art hard. He's got a fall-off-the-table changeup. 
He's kind of like a, a Felix Bautista light, at least with the stuff that he throws. And, you know, he's got the command issues that Bautista used to have before he finally honed it in last season and became a, a dominant closer. Maybe the O's think Cano could do that as well. And because they just traded for him at the deadline, they didn't have much time to work with him. I didn't think, especially because they acquired him via trade for Jorge Lopez, I didn't think there was much of a chance they DFA him this offseason. So he's going to start the year in AAA. He's going to be bullpen depth. Now, if things are really bad early in the year and he's walking everybody and he can't get off the mound, I could definitely see him being DFA'd early in the season. But if he keeps the command at least in check, he's throwing that good stuff, the O's will probably keep him on the 40-man. He'll be up a few times in the big leagues. But I will say, you know, even another name, Logan Gillespie, is probably a guy that's that's ahead of him on the bullpen pecking order. I mean, there's some guys who are certainly slated to, to get a chance before he does at this point. Keegan Aiken might not even make the opening day roster, would, would definitely be ahead of him as well. So it's going to be tough for Cano. I don't think the O's want to give up on him because they traded for him and they like the stuff. But there could be a point this season where unless he's dominating in AAA, he just gets DFA'd because they need room for other guys and he's just so far down that order of guys who could help the O's in a pinch in the big league bullpen. And the final question of the day comes from Brian on Twitter who asks, which Orioles starting pitcher will finish 2023 with the best ERA? And we've got plenty of options. You know, some people might want to say Grayson Rodriguez is going to have a great rookie season. It was nice to see Mike Elias went on MLB Network on Sunday and actually said that he expects Grayson Rodriguez to be in the opening day rotation. Also said he expects Colton Kowser to make his major league debut at some point this season. Obviously, those are things we already thought were going to happen, but it was nice to hear him say those things, and hopefully we can expect Grayson, if he's healthy, to be in that opening day rotation. But I'm not going to take Grayson Rodriguez. I'm going to take Kyle Bradish. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know I've been on the Kyle Bradish hype train for a while. I loved watching him pitch last year in his rookie season, and I think as long as he can stay healthy and he can continue to know throw those breaking balls at a high rate like he did when he dominated the Astros twice at the end of last year. He's going to have a really good season. He's got dominant stuff. I think he can take that next step. And yeah, he'll have some tough starts where maybe the command maybe gets away from him. But in general, I think he has the highest ceiling of non-Grayson Rodriguez guys in this Orioles rotation. And because I think Rodriguez could hit some stumbles in his rookie year, give me Kyle Bradish. I'm on the hype train for the best O's starter ERA in 2023. But that'll do it for today's mailbag episode. We thank you so much for watching and for listening. Again, if you had a question, but it didn't get answered, could get answered, maybe coming up later this week on another mailbag. And as well, you can submit your questions for future mailbags at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Tweet us at LockedOnOrioles or leave them in the YouTube comments here. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. I'll be back with you here on Wednesday. You'll actually get to hear the episode that I was planning to post at the end of last week that I recorded about an hour before the Orioles made the trade for Cole Irvin. So I scrapped that episode, and I'm going to post it this week. Taking a look at uh, the drafts that Mike Elias has had as Orioles GM. And if the 2019 draft where the Orioles got Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, and others, is that the best draft in Orioles history? I went back and looked at all the O's drafts dating back to the 1960s, and honestly, 2019 is right up there with some of the best drafts the O's have ever had, but it'll do a full deep dive coming up when I return on Wednesday's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.